0: Greetings to those who watch below. It's Friday, which means it's time to take another stop on our US tour of America, and today we're heading to Indiana. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, Finn McCall, and Jess Black Curtain, for being those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership you can check out in the link in the description box. But for now, sit back, Relax, and enjoy. The Silent Room, by Raja Zal. This happened to me and my brother about six years ago. My brother is one of those people who likes to go looking for paranormal activity, but he isn't a professional. One night, he asked me if I would like to join him, and I agreed. I had no idea what was in store for us. I'm not sure anymore what the name of the town was, but it's in southern Indiana, To the best of my knowledge, there have never been any news reports calling the place the silent room. But there must have been news about the murders that took place there. It was a long time ago, probably in the 40s. But I wouldn't know. I never did any research on the place. I didn't want anything to do with it after that night. We rode out to the country road that led to the farm where the silent room stood. The room itself was a Quonset hut. "'converted by its original owner to be soundproof. "'There he supposedly committed 26 murders, "'all young, beautiful women in their 20s. "'He silenced the room "'so he would be the sole witness to their suffering. "'When he was accused of the murders, "'the police searched the house and the room, "'but there was no evidence. "'He was thorough in cleaning up after himself. "'The bodies were never recovered. "'The accused, however, must have been guilty.' because within a week of the search, he was found hanging from a beam inside the hut. A stool was kicked aside at his feet. Whether the suicide had been out of guilt or fear of greater punishment, or if it was a suicide at all, is unknown. When my brother and I arrived at the property, he got his camera and began recording. We approached the Quonset cautiously, because it was left open and abandoned. And for all we knew, Raccoons or possums might have been inside. Passing the threshold, we noticed the signs of neglect. Graffiti had been sprayed all over the walls, part of the roof was missing, and there was dust everywhere. There was a back entrance missing its door that led to a dark meadow, and beyond that, just inside the woods, a small private graveyard of about six stones. As I approached the back door, my brother gave a quiet warning to stay away from it. I didn't, of course. I'm not exactly a fearless person, but I'm not scared off easily. But when I stood in the doorway, I had a very strong feeling of being watched. Then, out toward the tree line, I noticed movement. A deer? A coyote? No. The movement I saw was humanoid. A dark shadow had crept out of the woods as I watched. I quickly moved back into the hut, and warned my brother to get back in the truck. When we were back behind the wheel, he decided to explore the graveyard. I told him he was insane, but he insisted. It was his truck after all. So, I begrudgingly went along. Within a few minutes, we circled the property and found a small gravel road that led to the graveyard. Driving up, I got a foreboding feeling that again, we were being observed. We got out of the truck to look at the stones. Not two minutes later, we began to hear shuffling in the woods, and the snapping of numerous twigs. By then, my brother decided we'd seen enough, and we got back into the truck. After he started the engine, but before he could shift into drive, we began to hear rocks hitting the truck from behind, as if he'd already begun to peel out onto the gravel. He threw it in drive, and indeed peeled out. But about a third of the way down the drive, the headlights blinked out, leaving is moving in almost total darkness until we reach the road. I believe we narrowly escaped whoever or whatever had been watching us since the Quonset hut. The Mysterious Mud Mermaids of Indiana by Brent Swancer Mermaids have traditionally been seen as creatures of the sea, and whether they are real or not, it seems that most people can agree that at the very least they are denizens of the ocean, along with the lights of the kraken and sea serpents. However, this does not always seem to be the case, and in the 1800s there were apparently sightings of mermaids in perhaps one of the very last places anyone would ever expect to find such entities. The setting for this truly outlandish tale is the area near Vive in the state of Indiana, it is a state that has no coastline, and would not typically be the first place to jump to mind when discussing sea monsters. Yet, beginning in 1891, this would supposedly change. There came to be several sightings of something lurking along the muddy shores and sandbars of the Ohio River There seemed to be some sort of grotesque, twisted version of the mermaids of legend. Apparently, two of the creatures were spotted in the area, frolicking in the water and lounging about on submerged tree stumps, and were said to feed on fish and mussels. They were described as vaguely humanoid in appearance, amphibious and completely hairless, with webbed hands, sharp claws, fins, pointed ears and jagged teeth. A description in the Cincinnati Enquirer said, The beast is about five feet in length, its general colour is yellowish. The body between the four legs resembles that of a human being, The back of the hind legs taper into a point. The extremities resemble hands, and are webbed and furnished with sharp claws. It is devoid of hair. Its ears are sharp-pointed, and stand up like those of a dog. One of the witnesses, a Kentuckian Confederate captain, J.M. Ozier, would even provide a sketch of the creatures, and would claim that they were predatory and quite aggressive. Osier would claim that the pair of creatures were a male and female, and that he had seen and been menaced by the male. Soon the newspapers were calling these creatures the Mud Mermaids, and another news report at the time would write in its entirety, On the sandbar of the Ohio River, Vive, Indiana, reside two nondescript creatures, horrible in appearance and habit. They are amphibious in nature, and resemble in appearance huge lizards with human features. When partly submerged in the yellow waters of the Ohio, they are strangely like human beings. Of what species of animal they are, no one knows, for it is impossible to get near enough to judge them correctly. The sandbar in question is at low tide covered with huge logs and stumps of trees, known in the river vernacular as snags. They have been deposited by the government snag boats, engaged in keeping the channel clear. When the water is high enough to cover these snags, the creatures make their home among them. When the water recedes, they disappear into some unknown layer and wait for a rise. From indications, they appear to be carnivorous. Among the snags are to be found wagon loads of mussel shells, fish bones, and other debris of animals. When the river goes down, these shells and other articles disappear, only to be succeeded by a fresh lot. This evidence to those who have watched the coming and going of the strange things, that they live on such food. It is all very curious indeed, but frustratingly, the reports of these fantastical monsters just ought to end been there, and there is no mention of them. Neither is there any mention of accounts of such a creature in the Ohio River before 1891, and so we are left to wonder, what is going on here? Satan's House by Nate365 My name is Nate, and I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. The story story I am about to tell is based on a childhood home I grew up in, and the encounters I had in it, in Elkhart, Indiana. I'll start off by saying that I was born in Elkhart. The house was located on Southdale Drive, near what used to be the old Pierre Moran Mall, and is now a Kroger. I moved into the house with my father when I was around the age of 10. The house at the time seemed a nice place to live. I made a friend, Alex, in the house behind us, and the neighbours were friendly, and often stopped by just to talk to us, and shoot the breeze, if you will. The only neighbours we never talked to were the ones to the right of us, if facing the street. Anyways, it was a cosy little home, with a downstairs and three bedrooms upstairs. I had the one in the middle hallway, while my dad had the one to the right of me. It didn't take long for me to live there, when I started to notice weird things going on. At first it was the noises, of course. I'd wake to the sound of footsteps in the kitchen, or blinds being swept from side to side, as if someone rushed by them really quick. I wouldn't say anything due to the fact that my father would have never believed me, and it wasn't so bad at first. Then the noises grew louder, and more sinister, as if it were trying to put fear into me. There would be the sounds of chains dragging along the kitchen floor, and, mind you, we had no dog or pet at the time. There would be laughter when I was watching TV behind me, coming from the other rooms that I obviously knew was not my dad's. I told my dad, and like the usual sceptic, he said it was nonsense and that I needed to stop. He often grew a little agitated with me from how often I came to him. I kind of dealt with it by hiding my head underneath my covers and trying to fall into a quick sleep. By this point, I would sleep with my door open, so that if I was scared, I could run into my dad's room. At this time, I also dreaded going to bed. One night, I laid awake in my bed, scared as usual, because I was hearing noises in the hallway. I pushed myself up in bed to see someone peering into my room, as if they had most of their body to one side unseen, but as if they were creeping up on me, and watching me. I then saw two other faces doing the exact same thing, all to the same right side of the hallway looking into my room. At this point, I knew I couldn't go through my doorway, and I was too scared to yell, so I hid under my blankets and prayed for them to leave me alone. I was under the covers until I fell asleep. Later that week, I had a dream that still no one ever believes when I tell them. I had a nightmare that I was laying in bed when all of a sudden my closet flew open. There, my toy chest lid blew off the top, and all my toys scattered on the floor. All while this was happening, my bed and I were being moved and rotated to the right side of my room. The toys then proceeded to start moving towards me, as if they were going to attack me. I woke up breathing heavily, but noticed that my bed had actually moved to the right corner of my room and that my toys had actually been scattered all over my floor, face down. I couldn't believe what was happening to me. I thought I was losing my mind already at such a young age. I didn't say anything, because I knew it wasn't going to do myself any good. A few days later, I was taking a shower, and it was getting near my bedtime. Now, the shower was all the way to the left of my room, and right next to the last bedroom on the left. There was a curtain outside of the bathroom, that when opened, had the towels and wash rags inside. Also inside the shower, there was a small window to look into the garage, which I thought was a little unusual. I was washing up and all of a sudden the garage door opened and the lights and radio came on. The radio was so loud that I could hear my dad jump up in the living room and run towards the garage. While running I heard him say, Nate, what are you doing in the garage? I was scared at this point, and told him I was in the shower. I saw him run into the garage and look around to see if anyone was there. He then closed the garage and turned off the lights and radio. He proceeded to head back, when it happened again, and this time the garage was slamming up and down, and the radio was going nuts, changing stations while the lights were flickering on and off. My dad didn't know what to do, and maybe he was startled a bit, seeing how he had just went out there to fix the problem. A little while later, my mother and two brothers moved in with us. My dad had agreed to help her and the boys out, and welcomed them in, and I was thankful that I had a family I could play with and also keep me company. By then, I had my bed downstairs along with my dad's, and the boys and my mother had the rooms upstairs to themselves. It didn't take long for these guys moving in to piss off whatever was in my house. One day, my brother Carl and I were playing video games downstairs, and we were sitting on my bed. We both had noticed that my bed was shaking, and that the blinds dividing the exercise room from me and my father's part of the basement were moving, as if something passed through them into my room. We both sat still for a second, when the drawers in the bottom of my bed had shot open. We both ran upstairs and had told my mum what had happened. We came back down to find all was calm, and my drawers were closed and the blinds still. Now, my mother is a very spiritual person and in no way did she ever not believe what any of us would tell her. We had told her of times when going upstairs that our feet would be grabbed by some unseen force and we would sometimes be stripped of our shoes and chased upstairs. She had the same done to her, but told us not to be afraid and show no fear. She even believed me when I told her what happened next. I was sleeping downstairs when I awoke to the blinds swaying back and forth, and the light flickering on and off in the exercise room. Something told me in my head to go through and see what was happening. I looked over and saw that my dad was asleep, and I didn't want to wake him, so I proceeded quietly. As I walked through the blinds, the punching bag in the room was moving about, like someone had just done laying a few heavy punches to it, and the light continued to flicker. All of a sudden, I hear a loud gunshot, and then blood splatter against the wall in front of me. I felt as if I was going to have a heart attack, and ran to jump in my father's bed. He awoke and asked what was wrong, and told me to calm down and go to sleep. He didn't hear the gunshot. I awoke to find nothing on the wall. No speck of blood. Nothing at all was different. I told my mum, and she was terrified, and also agreed that she felt something evil was in the house. I had later been sleeping upstairs in my mum's room with the boys and I was sleeping on the floor. Later on, I had awoken yet again to something disturbing. I was laying down facing the door when I heard an extremely loud bang on the door as if someone was trying to kick it in. I looked back to see my mother and brothers wide awake, staring at the door and then myself. We heard multiple running footsteps in the hallway and when I smoothly opened the door to see who was there, The curtains were waving back and forth, like people were actually running up and down the hallway at a fast pace. No one was obviously there, and my father was at work. I began to talk to everyone in the room, where my brother Carl had told me he had been up for a few hours before, because he saw what looked like a man in our backyard, pushing a lawnmower and mowing the grass. Yet, he stated, he could see through the man. My mother had enough and started to look into the house's history, and ask the neighbours if they knew anything. The neighbours to our right, the only ones who wouldn't talk to us, had been hiding something all along. She told them what was going on, and they seemed not to be surprised. They had told her a woman was shot to death in the basement over a drug situation. This had explained maybe why they didn't want us to talk to them, or come over, due to the fact that they maybe didn't want us to bring anything over from the house. We didn't stay too much long after hearing that, but hearing was not the reason we had left. My mother had reportedly been in somewhat of a trance or possessed state at a point in time not long after we had got the news of the murder. She told me she didn't want to tell us because we were too young to understand. She had told me that while in the house alone, she felt an overpowering feeling come over her and that she felt as if she was not in control of who she was and what she could and couldn't do. She said she was made to walk and sit in the middle of the stairs leading to the basement. She said as she sat there, the basement filled with flames and figures she had said to be demons were clawing at her feet, telling her to come to hell. As this was happening, the upstairs was filled with an immense light and a voice was telling her to decide whether to join heaven or hell. She said she could not lift her head and that she couldn't move but rather sit with her head down. Then, all at once, it lifted, and she ran upstairs, panicking and threatened of her life. My mother had soon moved out, with the boys and I with her. I don't know if the neighbours told us the truth about what really happened in that house, and I find it hard to believe that that is all that has happened, due to the fact it was so evil and wretched there. My father soon followed leaving the house, and I have never asked what made him bring himself to leave as well. But... I have a clue. The Demon House In November of 2011, Latoya Ammons, a mother of three, moved into a white rental cottage at 3860 Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. Yes, the city that was once considered the murder capital of the US. After moving in with her children and mother, the family allegedly began to encounter poltergeist activities Immediately after their move, the enclosed front porch was inundated with enormous black flies. How is that possible, the family thought. It was the dead of winter. Following the instant, it became a recurring event that after midnight, both Amons and her mother Campbell would hear footsteps coming from the basement, and the slow creaking of the door opening entirely to the exposed kitchen. Without fail, any time either one would shake the basement, No one was there. One night, Latoya's mother felt a strange presence that awoke her. As she peeked outside a door, she was startled. She says there was a black shadow pacing back and forth in the living room. She removed herself from her bed to find giant, muddy boot prints. Not making a fuss over what had occurred, the family continued with their life at the demon house. It wasn't until March of 2012 that what seemed to be odd turned to dread. One night around 2am, family and friends were gathered at the demon house to mourn the loss of someone close. According to Ammons, she went to check on her kids to find her 12-year-old daughter unconsciously levitating above the bed. And without hesitation, everyone gathered around the child and began praying until she fell back to the bed. It was then that Ammons sought help. Local churches refused to visit the home and suggested Ammons clean the demon house by pouring ammonia and bleach throughout. Not only that, but draw crosses on every door and bathe her children in olive oil. It was also proposed the family create a makeshift altar in the possessed basement. Regrettably, it wasn't doing much, so Latoya solicited two clairvoyants who claimed the house was possessed by more than 200 demonic spirits. The family didn't have enough money to break the lease on the demon house, they had no other choice but to stay. Amons began to exercise the home. She did everything from only wearing white to burning sage and reading Psalm 91 out loud. Instead of things coming to a calm end, it only worsened. She also claims to have found her children speaking in tongues with bloodshot eyes and sporting sinister smirks. Her daughter said she felt like she was always being choked, the youngest son would lock himself up in his closet to talk to a boy no one had ever seen. Around April, Ammons gave up and sought help from a physician. During their visit, the two boys in diabolical yells cursed the entire staff. A report filed by the Department of Child Services and Police stated that one of the boys had been magically thrown against a wall. After the incident, the boys proceeded to pass out and were hospitalised after. This is where things got a little out of hand. The youngest boy kept growling and telling his brother he was going to kill him, and began to hit his brother's stomach by headbutting it. Following the gruesome act, he allegedly walked backwards, up onto a wall, made it to the ceiling, and flipped over to land on his feet. During this time, the children were examined for any signs of abuse, and Amons went through a psychological evaluation. To everyone's surprise, nothing was found. Either way, what had occurred in front of the hospital staff and police convinced the DCS to take custody of the children. Apparently, staff at the hospital reached out to the Reverend Michael Maginot to perform an exorcism on one of the children. The Reverend visited the demon house, where he insists he too experienced paranormal activity, from everything to the muddy footprints and flickering lights, ...that wouldn't stop every time he investigated something supernatural. Maginot knew he had to exorcise Amon's. He placed a crucifix against her head and she couldn't stop convulsing. Four hours into his investigation, Maginot established the house was possessed... ...and demanded they seek shelter elsewhere. They couldn't. The DCS was far from done with their investigation. They requested Officer Austin to review the living conditions of the demon house. He stated in a police report that he'd seen and heard some inexplainable things. His flashlight flickered uncontrollably in the basement until it eventually turned off by itself. It alarmed him because he had just replaced the batteries that morning. Austin took pictures of the basement, where he said he could see a cloud resembling someone's face, and even recorded audio, where you can supposedly hear somebody whispering, Hey. He claimed that he brought something back with him, as his driver's seat kept moving back and forth on his way home. The movement was so intense that his seat motor broke. The DCS still wasn't convinced. Without hesitation, Reverend Maginot continued to investigate the Demon House, particularly the basement, with the police and Samantha Illick, the DCS family case manager. During his many visits, Maginot was convinced there might be a body buried under the stairs of the basement, which could explain the poltergeist activity. Police dug a 3 by 4 hole. It's here they uncovered a pair of panties, socks, a cooking pan, and a drapery cord. Illet claimed to have felt her pinky going numb after touching a sticky substance she found in the house. That same liquid was allegedly found dripping from the Venetian blinds in one of the bedrooms, However, no one could see where it was building. They cleaned off the blinders to find the fluid dripping again. Reverend Maginot insisted the demon house needed to be exorcised. The two-hour ritual, which consisted of prayers and performing an exorcism on Amons yet again, was accompanied by two police officers and Illich. According to Illich, within 30 days of the exorcism, she went through a series of painful events that consisted of her breaking three ribs and obtaining third-degree burns. Did something attach itself to her? Maginot continued to purify Amon's, even though she had moved to Indianapolis with her mother, but returned to Gary for the court hearings. During months and months of cleansing her soul, Maginot said she was clear of any demonic presences, and eventually the DCS returned custody to Amon's. Many speculate that these unforeseen tragic events were purely made up by Amon's, especially her landlord Charles Reed, to avoid any payment when living at 3860 Carolina Street in Gary. Anyone who's lived before and after Amon's has yet to experience supernatural activity. After being left empty, the house was eventually bought by investigator and host of ghost adventures, Zach Begins. The house was used to film his documentary, Demon House, which was released in 2018. Due to the events that happened during the filming of the documentary, Bagans demolished the property in 2016. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, making sure you hit that notification bell so that you know when the next video goes live so until next time sleep tight Ohio ready for some quick mental health facts let's go nearly two million Ohioans live with a mental health condition in the U.S. more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime